one of the major ways grace can be destroyed in our lives is comparing ourselves to other people and the blessings they have, the money they have. This comparing problem can destroy a heart filled with God's grace. Do you find yourself in the comparison trap? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. For the next few weeks, we're going to take a break from our series on the Gospel of John. Today, we begin a short series that affects all of us, and that is our relationship with money. Here's David with the first part of his message, The Danger of Comparing. Well, today we're going to begin a series on the perils of being a treasure hunter. And the reason is because Jesus spoke more about the problem of money than he did anything else. He called it the chief rival God to God. Over one half of his parables had to do with the dangers of money. He said that where your heart is, there's where your treasure is. He also said you can't love God and money, implying that loving God means you're wooed by a powerful spiritual force But loving money makes you wooed by a powerful spiritual force. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not not money itself. Money's inanimate. But the love of money is the root of all evil. So if you want to change the world, you've got to change people's hearts. In fact, I've given you this phrase a lot. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. There is no law that Congress will ever pass that can ever change a human heart. Never. Can't happen. The only way a human heart can be changed is by understanding the gospel of grace. And one of the major ways grace can be destroyed in our lives is comparing ourselves to other people and the blessings they have, the money they have, the materialism they have, much more than even lip-syncing, this comparing problem can destroy a heart filled with God's grace. So today's message is enwrapped around this particular phrase, beware of the snare to compare. Say it with me. Beware of the snare to compare. Compare. When you start comparing yourselves to other people, folks, your heart of grace can be squelched. So we're going to look today at a parable where Jesus deals with this problem of comparing our possessions with other people's possessions. It's found in Matthew, the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 16. And I'll give you the context of this parable after I read it to you. The word of the Lord. Jesus said, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, a denarius equals about $100. It it was the regular payment for a day's worth of work then. So after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Please note that, his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So the first were sent out about 6 a.m. Now about 9 a.m., he sends others out and says to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I'll give to you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, about 12 noon and 3 p.m., he did the same. 
And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, so about 5 p.m. in the afternoon, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour, 5 p.m. came, each of them received how much? A denarius, $100. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius, $100. And on receiving it, they grumbled. They grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only for an hour, and you have made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge, or other translations have envy? Do you envy my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. There are three possible translations of this parable, and, and all of them work. The first one that's been offered through the ages is that the parable represents an historical overview of Israel. God called Abraham to form the nation of Israel. He's the 6 a.m. laborer. And all those who came after him in forming the nation are those who came at 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m. And then at 5 p.m., God sees the faithlessness of Israel, how they broke his covenant. So he makes a new covenant with a group of people called Christians. And they're the 5 p.m. laborers. The Jewish people of Jesus' day, the Pharisees more specifically, hated the idea of these newcomers late to the party receiving the grace that they had been promised from God. So some people interpret the parable that way as an historical handoff, if you will, from the Jews to the Gentiles, the 5 p.m. laborers receiving the grace of God. The, the second translation is more individual and personal. Um, it's a valid interpretation. It's basically saying the denarius with each person represents eternal salvation. It represents salvation by grace through faith. Everybody receiving the same gift of eternal life by grace through faith. So God who owns the vineyard calls little children, 6 a.m. Worship, uh, worshipers of him, to his vineyard. And sometimes he calls 9 a.m. followers. They're the teenagers, probably, who come and choose to follow Jesus. And then the 12 nooners might be the middle-aged people who come to faith in Jesus. And the 3 p.m. workers might be a little later on in life, workers who come to Jesus. And then the 5 p.m. are those who receive Jesus on their deathbed. Much like Ted Bundy, who came to faith in Jesus after an horrific, rebellious life against God, received Jesus right at the end of his life, people sometimes object and say, he gets to go to heaven when all these others have worked so faithfully for him all these years? And the answer is what, folks? Yes, because grace is grace. And the denarius is given the same to everyone. So some have interpreted this to be a personal illustration of how grace, salvation is given to all people simply because God gives it and not based on any meritorious work of anyone. 
that's valid. But the third one is the one I really like. Why? Because I believe to interpret a text, you need to look at its context. To take a text out of context is pretext. So look at the context of Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. It begins, I think, in Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, a man came to Jesus, saying... Now, for those of you who know your Bible, this man is often called the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? See, it's salvation based on works. What work must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And Jesus is trying to point out here, folks, the fact that every single one of us in our hearts have hearts that are bent towards selfishness. There's only one who's perfectly good. Only one who has no desire to be selfish, and that's God. We have inherited this disease called sin that's a part of our lives. There's only one who is good. And even our most benevolent work, even if we give millions of dollars to a particular foundation, we want our names to be written on that building. There's something within all of us that wants glory. And Jesus is saying here, only God is good. But then he begins to answer the rich young ruler's question. If you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. In other words, the way to have eternal life is to obey every single one of the Ten Commandments every single second of every single day for your entire life. He said to him, which ones? Which ones of the commandments? Jesus said to him, you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus lists commandments five, six, seven, eight, and nine. And then he sums it up with a passage from Leviticus 19.18. Don't you miss Leviticus? <laughs> that said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, the last five commandments of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, show how to love our neighbors. So basically, Jesus was saying, if you've done those commandments every single minute of every single day for all of your life, you will have eternal life. But Jesus knew what was really going on in the guy's heart. He knew what he really loved. So Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, or if you really want to be whole and righteous before God, have entrance into eternal life, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. You, you notice that Jesus, when he listed those last of the Ten Commandments, he didn't list the tenth one. The tenth one is, for those of you who know, thou shalt not covet. He knew that this guy loved money, and that was his big problem. So Jesus confronted him and said, oh, and one more commandment. Go sell everything you own, lay up treasures in heaven, and come and follow me after you've given it to the poor. And then the text tells us the young man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He went away sad because he didn't want to give up what he loved the most. His heart loved money most. 
And then Jesus says to his disciples, a saying that many of you have heard, truly, truly, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, some people have interpreted that to be, oh, there was a gate in Jerusalem called the camel's eye, and it's like a camel having to go into its knees to get into that gate in Jerusalem. Dear friends, nothing could be farther from the truth. That's not the right interpretation. Jesus is using an hyperbole for purpose. He's talking about a camel, one of the largest animals outside of a house, going into a house and then going through an eye of the needle, the smallest thing that's in a house, that being how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he didn't say it was impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He just said it's difficult. It's difficult. Why? Because rich people often love money more than they love God. They're captured by that spirit that woos their hearts to worship money. Well, Peter then responds and says, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus responds, well, with man, it's impossible. You can't work your way into heaven. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible through grace. God can do it through grace. Well, Peter, who was always impetuous, usually putting his foot in his mouth before he spoke, immediately responds, well, what about us? All of us have left our farms, our families, our friends to follow you. What's going to be in it for us? See, Peter operated the way the world operates, with a quid pro quo mentality, a tit for tat mentality. If I do this, I get paid for it. If I do that, I get paid for it. Peter, we did all of this, Lord. What's going to be our reward? And Jesus lists for him the rewards they'll get in heaven. We will get eternal rewards in heaven for our faithfulness here. But then Jesus looks at Peter and says, the kingdom of heaven isn't a quid pro quo arrangement, Peter. To enter the kingdom of heaven like this rich young ruler wanted to is by grace, totally by grace, not merit. And then he ends that section of teaching with these words in Matthew 19, 30. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, some of you who paid attention to my reading of the parable in Matthew 20 have come to the conclusion, oh my, that's how the parable ended. And you're exactly right. In Matthew 20, verse 16, Jesus ends the parable, so the last will be first, and the first last. In fact, he says that phrase over five times in the New Testament. It must be important to him. In heaven, there's going to be a great reversal of all the things we think are important here. There's going to be an inversion of God's economy with our economy. And when we get to heaven, those who have lived by grace are going to be first in line. And those who live by quid pro quo, meritorious thinking I should get what I earn, are going to be last. So this parable, sandwiched between the first will be last and the last will be first, must have to do with that message. So I think it has to do with the snare to compare. Think about it. A landowner hires people at 6 a.m. and he pays them, agrees to pay them $100 at the end of the day after their day's labor. They agree to that. He then calls people at 9 a.m. to enter the vineyard. Why? We don't know. Good guess, storm clouds were brewing on the horizon, and he had to get the harvest in before the rains came. 
Then he goes back at 12 and calls more. And like the ones at 9 a.m., there's no agreement to a payment. They just go and work thinking the owner will be fair. Same thing happens with 3 p.m. workers. Maybe the storm clouds are brewing more and more. And then at 5 p.m., he goes to the marketplace, finds a few idlers. He sends them out into the field too. Maybe the lightning was flashing at this point and he had to get the crops in immediately. But at 6 p.m., the day ended. So he told his foreman to pay everybody rightly. But what he decided to do was to first pay those who entered at 5 p.m., then those who entered at 3 p.m., then those who entered at 12 noon, then the 9 a.m. workers, and then last, the 6 a.m. workers. The 5 p.m. workers receive how much, folks? One denarius, 100 bucks. They leave probably happy, don't you think? Then the 3 p.m. workers get how much? A denarius, 100 bucks. They're happy. 12 p.m., 9 a.m., get one denarius, 100 bucks. They're out of here. Now, can't you imagine the 6 a.m. workers as they're watching this unfold? Do you know what's going on in their mind? It must be ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Man, if they're getting 100 and we agreed to 100, how much more are we going to receive? We've earned it. They're comparing themselves to all the other workers. And how much do they get? One denarius, 100 bucks. What's their response? They are ticked off. They are angry as can be. The evidence of their anger is they start mumbling, grumbling. I love the biblical word murmuring. Jesus said in, in Mark 7 that your words show what's in your heart. So, so they're angry in comparing what they got that other people got, and their response is very childlike, like our children do when they don't get what they want. They cry out, oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. Let me first of all tell you, dear friends, fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. When this world became broken and fallen, fairness ended. But also, God looks at fairness through the lenses of grace, not merit. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David and I discuss the value of someone else's time. We'll be right back. What does the Bible tell us about the end times? The Bible is a book about soteriology, your salvation, redemption, and eternal life. David Chadwick has made an informative video called The End Time Prophecies. From Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, God's Word is revealing facts about the times we live in, as well as the second coming of Jesus Christ. We would love to give this video to you as a resource to equip you to help you understand the history and prophecies of the Second Coming found in the Old Testament. In this video, David covers the validity of Scripture, Jesus' first coming, and how we can have faith in His second coming. This video is a compelling account of the foundation of the Christian faith. To receive your free copy of this video, go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. Again, go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener for your free copy of this informative, educational video from David Chadwick. End Time Prophecies from David Chadwick. Get yours for free today. 
Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's great being with you again, Jen. Well, David, in this morning's e-devotion, you said, when you're tardy, you're a thief. What do you mean by this? Okay, this one comes from my college basketball coach, Coach Smith, and he used to say it all the time. If you're not on time, you're stealing somebody else's time. That makes you a thief. Wow. And I'll never forget, he would demand that we have Eastern Standard Time, but to always set our clocks by Coach Smith time, which meant five minutes before we're supposed to be there, make sure we're there. And we were going to play the University of Virginia up in Charlottesville. Uh, We got there well before for the launch time to leave, and we got on the bus, but we noticed that our first-team All-American, Charlie Scott, was not on the bus. And everybody went, where's Charlie, where's Charlie? And Coach Smith, right at 4 o'clock when the bus was supposed to leave, said, close the door, leave. And Charlie arrived right at that time, and I remember looking out the window and seeing Charlie run next to the bus, full sprint, trying to get the bus to stop to get on. Coach Smith looks at his watch, looks out at Charlie, shakes his head no, it's 4.01. We traveled to Charlottesville without our first team All-American because Coach Smith says you got to be prompt. If you're not prompt, you're stealing people's time. And he wanted to give us a life lesson that would last for all of our lives. So even to this day, I try to be prompt right on time. And if I'm going to be late, to call the person and say, hey, I'm running five, ten minutes late just to know because that image. Uh, he <laughs> was literally running Running late. next to the bus. <laughs> Coach Smith looked at his watch. It was 4.01, said sorry. And you know, what Charlie yeah. did was Charlie caught another flight and got there right before the game, and Coach Smith wouldn't start him <gasps> because he was trying to teach him a life lesson. He was more concerned about developing a great person wow. than he was a basketball player. And interestingly, we won the game on the last second shot so maybe God honored Coach Smith's view of promptness I don't know but that's what this is talking about Jen and I think it's so important for all of us to remember and teach our children and our grandchildren as well because I think this one's getting lost Mm -hmm. in our contemporary culture Scripture teaches us to honor one another above ourselves, Romans 12.10. This means that we should prioritize others as more important than ourselves. We're to think about what others need instead of what we always need. And one specific way to honor others is to be prompt, Mm. to be on time at meetings, lunches, drop-offs and pickups, to church, to school, anything in which there's a start time. I, I know as a pastor, sometimes I would sit up front and watch people pour into the worship service five, 10, 15 Mm -hmm. minutes late, and I'm going, you wouldn't do that if you had an appointment literally with the almighty God of the universe. You would show up, I think, Coach Smith's standard time a few minutes beforehand to make sure that you would have that time with him. So everyone, let's honor one another. How? By prioritizing them above ourselves and by being prompt, being on time. When we do, we honor them, we honor God, and we're not a thief. Wow, this is so good. Thank you for sharing this story, and I'm sure Charlie has never forgotten that. <laughs> I don't think he has. Uh, but I think all parents, coaches, uh, mentors need to remember that we are teaching the next generation yeah. truths, and this is one of them. If it's 4 o'clock, it's 4 o'clock. If it's 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, it's 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Do Coach Smith standard time. Set your clocks five minutes beforehand just to make sure you're always on time, because when you're not, 
you're stealing from others. So good. Thank you so much, David. Everyone, if you'd like to receive these Moments of Hope daily, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. They're free of charge. They'll arrive in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. It's from my heart to yours to give you a daily moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to get your free video called The End Times. This is our gift, free for all of our Moments of Hope radio listeners. This informative teaching looks at what the Bible tells us about the end times. Just go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. Again, that's momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. For all of us at Moments of Hope Church, this is Jen Houston. Jen Houston.